Amen. Why don't we give the Lord a round of applause? Thank God for the privilege to be here, and I'm so glad to be with every one of you. uh, So grateful that it worked out uh, for me to be here, and and God is obviously in, in this. He's in what's going on. He's involved in your life. So I'm grateful for that. You know, you're here today in the will of God, and I'm here today in the will of God, and I'm glad about that. You know, I, I get excited about that because the Bible shows us different patterns and examples, and when we see that people were in the right place at the right time, the perfect will of God, that miracles took place. Matter of fact, the miraculous just became a, a thing of the norm when they're in the right place at the right time. Kind of like the disciples in the boat. All of a sudden, they see Jesus off in the distance. and They're contemplating, is that really him? It's kind of dark. We, we don't know. Now, they were in the darkness there in that boat, and it, to them, may have really meant nothing. But when they, saw, they looked out and they saw Jesus, and they said, you know, who is that out there? They thought he was a ghost. Some of them thought it was a spirit walking out on the water. And then Jesus answered them that it was him. And Peter said, well, if it's really you, let me walk on the water like you. And he recognized if that's really you out there walking on the water, then that means the supernatural is natural for you. And if the supernatural is natural for Jesus, then he can cause me to walk in the realm of the supernatural as well. So you're in the right place at the right time where Jesus is, and I believe that where Jesus is, absolutely anything is possible. If you believe that, would you clap your hands and thank God for what he's about to do? Why don't somebody clap your hands like you mean it for a moment? I'm talking about the miraculous. I'm talking about something that's extraordinary, something the enemy cannot stop, something that nobody even next to you can hinder because God is in control. So I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to be here in the presence of God. And I'm excited to be with every one of you. I know for a fact that God is going to do the miraculous. If you believe that, why don't you say amen in faith believing? If you believe that, why don't you say amen in faith believing? All right. I want to take a moment, ask that you would turn your attention with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, 1 Timothy 3, 16, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, and 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And as you are turning, opening up your Bibles or looking to the screen, uh, I want to take a moment and honor your uh, pastor and his wife and family. So good to see Brother Anthony here, and uh, just so, so good to see them and all the work that they're doing for the kingdom of God. Obviously, their love for you and their heart for revival. And, uh, you know, the many Bible studies they've given, the prayers they've prayed, the sacrifice they've made to be here in this city. And it is evident that they're in the will of God and that God is truly using them to impact this city for the kingdom of God. So I'm grateful for them love them. Why don't we give the Lord a round of applause for your leadership. 
course, I want to honor my wife and my two boys that I'm so grateful for. Uh, I love very much. I'm so glad that uh, we're together and um, that they're, they're with me. We don't always get to travel together. We try to as much as possible. We do the majority of the time, uh, but it's just especially good. I was in Africa this past week in about 10 days or so. Just got back on Wednesday night, and so I'm enjoying this time with my family. <laughs> they were not with me, and so I'm so grateful for them. I love them very much. I want to ask my son, Jesse, would you come on up, buddy? He's going to uh, he's going to help me preach a little bit. Is that all right? All right. He's going to go ahead and say a scripture. We've been working on some scriptures, and so he's going to say a scripture. You ready, buddy? All right. Go ahead. God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis 1-1. All right, good job. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Good job, buddy. We've been working, working on some scriptures and trying to get a few different ones in there, too. Uh, soon, David, little David will be up here, I'm sure, saying a scripture or something. But uh, anyway, I honor my family. I love them very much. So grateful for the ministry that we do together. Uh, I want to turn your attention, as I mentioned, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, 1 Timothy 3.16. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Would you turn to your neighbor and tell them, one Lord. All right. And 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What I love is that the scripture doesn't stop there, doesn't end there with a mystery. Uh, but it goes on to give us the answer to this mystery of the Godhead, the identity, if you will, of God. And it says that God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, received up into glory. So we know that this God whom came and robed himself, as, robed himself in flesh was the man Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 5 says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Let's go ahead and put our Bibles to one side. Would you lift up your hands with me, church? And I want to ask... There is power in your tongue. The Bible tells us death and life is in the power of the tongue. So right now, more powerful than the thought is what you say. So would you lift up your hands and would you lift up your voice unto God? And I want you to pray and ask God to align our heart with his will here this morning. Would you help me, Jesus? I thank you. I praise your name, God. I pray that you would anoint my mind and loose my tongue to speak your word here today. That your will be done in this place. I pray, God, that you would touch every heart, every mind of every person here in this place. 
you would help us to receive your word, that you would align our heart with your will here this morning. I thank you and I love you for what you're about to do, for what you've already done, for giving me another breath of life this morning and waking me up this morning. I give you all the honor and all the glory. Now, would you clap your hands and magnify the name of the Lord for a moment? I'm going to have you be seated here in one moment, but uh, I want to ask you to stand just a moment longer. I don't feel bad because I will be standing the rest of this time while you are seated. But uh, I want to turn your attention before I even start the message to Psalm 46. You don't have to turn there. 47, uh, but 47 in verse 1. And it says, it says, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Now, I've said this behind this pulpit before, but shout unto God with the voice of of triumph. And it goes on to tell us, for the Lord most high is terrible. He's a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. And it goes on and on and on about the greatness of God. What I recognize is the Bible tells us to clap our hands and to shout unto God. And it's not based on how we feel. It's not based on what's going on in life. It's not based on how good things are, how bad things are, how dark it is, how light it is, whether you have received the Holy Ghost or whether you have not, whether you've been healed or whether you have not yet been healed. But the Bible commands us, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph based on the goodness of Almighty God. And so if you can testify about the goodness of God, that He is alive, that He is real, that He's on the throne, that there's nobody beside Him, that He is unchanging, that He's unmoving, if you can testify to that, would you do like the Scripture says, and why don't we clap our hands, all you people, and here's the best part, why don't we shout unto God with the voice of triumph? I said, why don't we shout unto God with the voice of triumph? That's not based on whether you feel the victory. That's not based on whether you feel triumphant, but rather that's based on the goodness of God. Would somebody let your voice out and would you shout unto God? Praise God. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them the I am. Shake somebody's hand next to you and tell them the I am. After that, you may be seated. I love that the Bible instructs us to worship. I really do. Because we don't always feel like worshiping. You may be seated. We don't always feel like clapping. We don't always feel like dancing. Some ridicule David, as a matter of fact, and his own wife, when the Bible says the Ark of the Covenant came in to uh, Jerusalem, came into Israel, and it was restored again to them again. The presence of God was among them. This king, the Bible says, took off his kingly robe. In other words, he took off his 
dignity, if you will, than what people thought about him. He wasn't worried about that. He wasn't acting as a king, and he began to dance before the presence of God. It took a moment of humility to walk with God in that way, to dance before God in front of all these people. And the Bible says his wife began to come against him, and, well, don't you know who you are? You're a king, and so on, and scoff at him. But he recognized, I am no Nobody, I'm no longer a king in the presence of the Almighty God, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so I tell us to rejoice and to shout for a reason, because we are uh, no longer kings, if you will. Your dignity doesn't really matter. Your pride, as a matter of fact, does not matter in the presence of Almighty God. And so it is important to come to God in humility. So why don't we try that one more time? Not worried about what somebody's going to say next to you or your neighbor around you. Why don't we give God the glory that is rightfully due unto him? And would you clap your hands one more time, whether you feel like it or not, just like David? And why don't we shout unto God and thank him for his goodness, because he's worthy. He is worthy of our praise, and there is nobody that is like him, and you really cannot praise God enough. If you believe that, would you say amen? The book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 tells us that there, uh, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There is only one God. There is only one Lord out there. There is Matter of fact, cannot be two, cannot be three, cannot be multiple because one of them has to be God and one is not, right? Uh, one is the creator and one is not. One is the alpha, meaning the beginning, and one is not. And so <clears throat> there are religions in this world, beliefs and ideas that there are many gods, that there are many answers out there. The world today tells us your truth is good for you and my truth is good for me. They'll say that I believe there's many avenues they'll tell you in ways in which to get to God. But I recognize, now I've used this illustration before and I'll use it again because it stands true, that there really is only one way to make heaven your home. The Bible tells us, as Jesus said, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, that he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us on another occasion, says there's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We recognize that as the name of Jesus. And Peter got up one day and he preached on the day of Pentecost and he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I tell people often, my dad He's about 6'4", 350 pounds. I mean, he is just a big guy, and you don't ever really want to cross him the wrong way. It would be a bad idea to do that. I didn't get any of his size in any way, although I prayed that I would. Nonetheless, my dad, when I go to his house, which is where I grew up, it is by his rules that we live. Now, I'm, I consider myself grown now. You know, I got my own family, got my wife, my kids, and 
And, uh, you know, I've got my own house. We've got our own way of life. You know, and uh, in my house, I'm the man of the house. But when I go back to my dad's house, it is his way still, even though I'm my own man now. And I'm, I'm old enough, if you will, you know, as we would like to think it may work that way. When I go back to my dad's house, I know that I can't walk in and say, hey, Pops, the trash is full. Why don't you throw it out this time? I already know automatically that's my job. Whether I live there or not. And so I walk up to the full trash. My mom will still say, hey, Jesse, although I'm just visiting, could be for an hour. doesn't matter. She'll say, hey, the trash is full. Why don't you throw it out? I already know. Hey, you know what? It's, it's my mom and my dad's way. It's not my. I can't go in there and start barking out orders and telling them what to do, right? How many of you let your kids just walk in and do that? Don't matter how old they are, right? Somebody say no. Somebody say no. All right. Just want to make sure we... we raise our kids the right way, you know? It's a real thing. You know, you don't just let your kids walk in and just say what they want, do what they want, because it's your house. You pay the bills. You set the tone for that house, right? In our house, it didn't matter whether we wanted to go to church or not. My dad said, hey, you live under this roof. You eat at my table. You eat my food. You're going to church. That's the rule. Don't matter if you want to or not. You're getting in the car. I could prophesy to you as a 12-year-old little boy that in 10 years from now, if I'm still living under this roof on Sunday morning, I know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in the house of God because that's the rule that was established. That's what was set up in my father's house. Well, it works the same way with God, but in such a much more extreme manner in the sense that we are not talking about a house that is built with the hands of man, but we are talking about an eternal home. We're talking about heaven. And when we talk about heaven, we recognize God is the one that made it. God is the one that formed it. The Bible goes even further to say that he will be the light. We won't have a sun there. There'll be no sun like we see it out in space today that brings light to this world and the moon that brings light in the darkness. No, the Bible tells us that God will be the light, that there will be no darkness there, and therefore it must be by his way. There are no many truths that lead to an ultimate truth in the end. One of them has to be the truth and the rest a lie. That's what truth is of itself. Truth is absolute. You cannot tell me that red is blue and blue is red. Doesn't make any sense. The fact of the matter is there is only one truth and the fact of the matter is there is only one way in which to make heaven our home. And that one way is under that one name that is the name of this one God whose name is Jesus Christ. And there is no other name in where we can be saved. There is no other name that can heal and restore. There is no other other name that can deliver. There is no other name that can heal the brokenhearted, that can restore those that have been bound. There is no other name that can cause the dead to come back to life, that can cause the blind to see, that can cause the deaf to hear. Even in 2023, there is no other name that can cause the those that are addicted and bound by drugs and alcohol and every other spirit of depression and fear. There's no other name that can deliver like the name of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, would you clap your hands and thank God because he is the one true living God.
That's the God that we serve. And Peter and John had an experience on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And when they were filled with the Spirit, they were excited. They were pumped, to say the least. If I could speak it that way. They were excited out of their mind that Jesus had come to live inside of them. He walked with them for three and a half years. And the Bible says after he was buried that he came back from the dead. And he rolled the stone away. It was preached, I'm sure, on Resurrection Sunday that Jesus did not stay in the grave. I've been to Israel, and I've seen the tomb, and there is no bones there. There is no evidence left that Jesus uh, is still there, because the Bible tells us that he resurrected, and he rolled the stone away, and he ascended eventually back into heaven. But what the Bible goes on to say is that Jesus told the disciples, go to Jerusalem. His last words, and I think it's so significant to hear the last words of a dying man and a dying person even in our own lives. Somebody maybe that's been close to you that maybe some of you have been by their deathbed of your mom or your dad or your brother, your sister or your aunt or uncle, whoever it may have been, and you would have heard the last words they would say. Most of the time, it's not going to be frivolous words. Most of the time, it's not going to be meaningless words or empty words, but Most of the time, somebody on their deathbed who knows they are crossing from this life into eternity has something weighty to say, a message to speak, something to pass on of a legacy maybe to give to their kids and the kids beyond them, their grandchildren, and so on and so forth. And So it's important to recognize the words that Jesus spoke. And Jesus told the disciples before he ascended back into heaven, his last words, he said, go to Jerusalem and and wait. Wait for me, wait for me, and I'm going to give you power. Everyone say power from on high, he said. And he said, I'm going to endue you with this power. And so they went to Jerusalem, and they waited, and they tarried, and they prayed, and they believed. And while they sat there, the Bible says, in one mind and one accord, the Spirit of God came into the room. And there was a rushing, mighty wind as the Spirit began to fill them. And as they were filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, in that day, the Bible says they began to speak with other tongues. And when they spoke with other tongues, they then had the evidence that they had been filled with the Spirit of God living on the inside. Their life was changed forever, and that is indeed a life-changing experience that still happens today. And so Peter and John leave that experience, and they're on their way to the temple to go and pray on Sabbath day. For them was a holy day. It was Saturday, and they were on their way, and while they would go and observe this Sabbath day, The Bible says they saw a man that was lame there at the gate or at the front entrance of the temple. Now, in those days, they were not allowed if you were lame, if you were in any way sick as far as blind or deaf or anything like that. You were a leper. You were not allowed into the temple. So this man was laying there, and he was lame, the Bible says, from his birth. And so he had never been inside the temple. And Peter and John walk up to where he is, and he reaches out, and he looks at them expecting, the Bible says. Now that's a key here today, because if you don't expect nothing, nothing's going to happen. Right? You go and ask your mom, your dad as a kid, you know, for some money or 
expect, you know, ask them for a meal, you expect them to give it to you. You know, you expect them to provide it for you. If we expect of God to do something, then I believe indeed God will respond to our faith. And so this man reached up and was waiting to receive something of them. And while he was waiting, the Bible says, Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they picked the man up there as as he was lame. And when they picked him up, the Bible says he received strength in his legs. And all of a sudden he was healed and he went leaping and running there into the temple, rejoicing the name of Jesus Christ, because at the mention of the name of Jesus, this man was healed. Now that is a significant thing, because while they were preaching the name of Jesus, the Bible says Peter and John were also being threatened. They were being threatened to no longer preach in that name. Some Pharisees, these guys were religious people, a little too religious for Jesus, the sense that they thought they had it all figured out. They knew, hey, we go and observe the Sabbath, and we fast, and everybody knows we're spiritual. And, and when Jesus came on to the earth, they, they really didn't like him. And so when miracles were being done in the name of Jesus, they told Peter and John, look, we don't want you preaching in Jesus' name anymore. They didn't say any other name. They said the name of Jesus because there's power in that name. And they said, we don't want you preaching in the name of Jesus. We don't want you telling people that they can be healed in Jesus' name and they can be delivered in Jesus' name. They threatened to beat them and uh, continued on to tell them, we don't want you preaching in that name. You are not allowed anymore to preach the name of Jesus. They recognized that when the name of Jesus was being preached in that place, that all of a sudden things were happening supernatural things were taking place, things that were not possible were taking place, things that a doctor could not do. I, as I mentioned, was in Africa just this past week, and while I just got back on Wednesday night, we were there in a village. I mean, it was a very remote village in the middle of nowhere, if you will, and I remember going to this village and telling the people something similar to what I'm telling you today, that Jesus is the answer. Now, I got to realizing some of these people had walked for hours. Some one man took a canoe, literally, and crossed the the river, and after that walked all the way a few hours to where we were preaching the gospel. And they came not, not knowing all of what you may know, having what you have available at your fingertips to know about Jesus and have had other people tell you other ways of religion and other ideas. They didn't have any of that. It was what we were preaching, the Word of God on that day. They had literally come for hours to be there to hear the Word of God. And with such a hunger in their heart, I watched as they would come to be healed. And I said, God is going to heal people today. And I remember as they would come to the altar, one woman in particular was deaf in both ears. She hadn't been able to hear, I believe, for about two or three years. And there in that moment, we prayed. And all of a sudden, she looked around and she said, hey, I can hear. And she began conversating with everybody as Jesus healed her body. Can I tell you, that wasn't done in any other 
name other than the name of Jesus Christ. One woman could barely even stand without a cane. And after we prayed in the name of Jesus, there was nothing different about it other than the fact that we prayed in the name of Jesus just like Peter and John did in this Bible thousands of years ago. And when we prayed in the name of Jesus Christ, that woman was instantly healed by the power of Almighty God. What I'm telling you here today is that same Jesus is in this room right now. That same Jesus is here today. And I don't know what you have need of, but I'm telling you that same Jesus can change your world right side up. That same Jesus can change your mind, can touch your life, joy that you have never had. That same Jesus will be your joy. He'll be your peace. It's time that the people of God quit holding their head down and start walking in peace in the Holy Ghost because that's what God has ordained for us to do. If you believe that, would you clap your hands and thank the Lord (coughs) here today? You may be seated. I believe with all my heart that Jesus can do absolutely anything. I really do. I have no doubt that he can do it here today. The Bible tells us that one day Jesus was talking to a few of the Pharisees and they begin to to kind of question him once again. They really didn't like Jesus. So they would question him and you know, who are you? Who has sent you? And who has given you this authority and so on and so forth and and at one moment he begins to conversate with them and and he kind of reaches back into an account that Moses had with God in the burning bush. Now, at this point, when Moses is approaching the burning bush, there is no <clears throat> revelation of the name of Jesus Christ at this point in history. And so Moses, to the burning bush and the voice that was speaking in this supernatural occurrence, as he is there before God Almighty, the God that called the world into existence, God says, Moses, I've called you to go and deliver the children of Israel, my people, out of Egypt. They've been in slavery. They've been in bondage 430 years, and I have chosen and ordained you to deliver them right out of that Egyptian bondage. And in that moment, Moses, not knowing fully who this God is, not being able to see him, only able to feel and hear this God, says, all right, well, who do I tell Pharaoh? who Pharaoh at the time was maybe, if you will, the the God of this world at that time, in the sense that obviously he was not the one true living God, but he he set himself up as a God. He was the king of the world at that time. And so this voice spoke from the burning bush, and and in response to Moses' request and question, he says, "Who, who do I tell? Pharaoh has sent me. What, what authority do I have to walk into Pharaoh's you know, quarters and say, hey, let God's people go? And the, the, the voice answers this God that we know from the beginning, Yahweh, Almighty God, responds and says, tell them I am has sent you. Tell them I am that I am has sent you unto them. God speaks this into 
the atmosphere. It doesn't give him the name of Jesus quite yet. And if you fast forward quite a bit, you'll see that in that moment <clears throat> that Jesus is there with the Pharisees and he's speaking. And as Jesus is there with the Pharisees, the Pharisees would have understood who this God of the Old Testament was. They would have known who this God of the Old Testament was. They would have recognized the account with Moses and the burning bush. They would have known all about that because they studied the Word of God. and They would have known their ancestors and, and the stories that happened before them. And, and they start questioning Jesus, and they say, well, Jesus, you know, who do you, who do you uh, say has sent you? And what, what authority do you have to preach? And so on and so forth. And Jesus responds to them. And he said, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And he responds to them with two things. He says, look, before Abraham, which means that he was before Abraham, and clearly in the timeline of how things are, Jesus there, this man, Christ Jesus, the flesh, was not before Abraham. And the Pharisees say, well, are you saying that you knew who Abraham was? You're not even 50 years old yet. How are you saying you know who he was when he lived away thousands of years ago? He goes on to say, but before Abraham was, I am. And he's not just declaring a few words into the atmosphere. He's not just saying, I am somebody. I am a significant person. He's not saying, I am a prophet even. He's not saying, I am just an anybody or I am somebody that can just do the miraculous. But when he says, I am, he is referring to what happened way, way, way back when, uh, when Moses was before the bush and the voice almighty God spoke out unto Moses and said, tell them I am has sent you. And when Jesus steps on this earth, uh, he declares with those two words. I am not just a man. I am not a man that can that is only eaten and grown in the flesh, but I am both 100% man and 100% God. I am man, yes, but he declares I am God as well. And as God, I can forgive. And as God, I can heal the sick. And as God, I can restore sight to the blind. And as God, I can cause the to be set free and as God I can do the impossible and that's the same God that we serve here today that's the same God that's in this room right now that's that's why I'm excited because I recognize if that Jesus is here in this room then that Jesus cannot be stopped by any spirit by any sickness by any disease that same Jesus cannot be stopped because he is the I am that delivered Israel from the Red Sea. He is the I am that delivered David from Goliath. He is the I am from the beginning. Would somebody clap your hands for a moment? I don't typically do this, but I really, I really feel this. I feel it is so, so important to rejoice the reason I'm saying this is because it was explicit many times. It was explicitly said many times throughout the Word of God to rejoice. And not based on how we feel 
As American people, we are constantly looking at ourselves, constantly looking at where we are and what we can get and how we can get more and do more and be better and so on and so forth. But the reality is when we look at the mistake of the Israelites in the wilderness, uh, the Bible says God told Moses, tell them to remember who has brought them out of Egypt. And they forgot why because they quit rejoicing. They stopped being thankful. They stopped clapping and shouting and thanking God. Before we knew it, the Bible says they were worshiping a golden cow because they had forgot who this God was. And so I am telling you here today, you might already know everything I'm saying, but I'm telling you here today, it is so important to rejoice in what we understand. And I'm not talking about, well, thank you, Lord. That's great. And that's cute. And that's good. I'm talking about a God that has literally reached down into this city and pulled you out from being on your way to a devil's hell. I'm talking about a God who literally reached down into my family, into your family, and said, you know what? I love them too much to let them burn and die now. I love them too much to not fill them with my spirit. I love them too much to let them continue to be a slave to depression, a slave to fear, a slave to suicide. I love them too much. So would somebody rejoice and magnify the name that is above every name? Because there is nothing in this world that can stand against the power of the I am. Go ahead and clap your hands one more time. Somebody go ahead and clap your hands one more time. There's liberty in the Holy Ghost when you rejoice. Go ahead right now. That's all right. I'm telling you, there's liberty in the Holy Ghost when you rejoice. Somebody clap your hands and shout unto God. You say, well, I don't feel like it. It looks weird. Uh, David was a king, and he began to dance uh, before God. Why? Because he recognized, uh, I don't care about what you think. Uh, I don't care about what my wife says. Uh, I care only to please God uh, because he has got me in the palm of his hand. Why don't you stand to your feet for a moment? I feel the Holy Ghost here today, and I'm telling you, there is a breakthrough in rejoicing. There's a breakthrough in knowledge. There's no doubt about that. And you'll find master classes all over the internet, tell you how to cook and how to clean and how to deal with your finances and how to fix a car and how to do all kinds of different things like raise your kids and be a good spouse and so on. But can I tell you here today, there is an answer for what we have in this room, for what we feel. And when we begin to rejoice, for what we have. Now, knowledge is good, but when you act on that knowledge, that's what makes the difference. They all recognize that's Jesus on the shore, but there was only one disciple that decided to step out of the boat, and when he got on the ledge, he said, if that's really you, let me walk on water too. And he decided, if this God is really real, and if he's really who he says he is, then he can cause me to do the impossible too. I was somebody like that had faith here today that would say, God, I'm going to step out of the boat because I know you are the I am. I know you call light out of darkness. I know you know the end from the beginning and you're not going to leave me here. That's the God that we serve here today. You can remain standing. I'm done. 
I believe that this Jesus can do anything. You believe that? Would you close your eyes? And if you have a need, you need God to, to move, to be the I am, to be the Savior of your life, of this world. Would you raise your hand real high? Say, Jesus, I need you. Would you raise your hand real high? Won't somebody step out of their comfort zone? Christianity is full of people stepping out of their comfort zone. Matter of fact, I don't think you can be comfortable and be an actual disciple of Jesus Christ. He said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That was what it was required to be a disciple, to be uncomfortable. I'm going to send you where I want you to go. I'm going to tell you what I want you to say. I'm gonna, you might not like it. It might be a little bit different and feel a little bit different. But I'm here to tell you that God is shaking somebody up. God's stirring somebody up here today. Now, right now, all over this room, you have asked God or you say, you know what? I need you, God, to to move. I need you to do the miraculous. What I'd like you to do, this is your step of faith. I want you to come on down to this altar right now, this front area where where I am right here, and we're going to pray together. You say, Jesus, I need you to move. I'm, I'm asking you to do something. Maybe like that lady in that village, you know. Here in America, we've got a lot of different answers for things. I realize that. We've got to get beyond that, like the woman with the issue of blood, and say, you know what? I've tried everything, and I've got nothing left to try. I've tried everything, and I've got nothing left to do. I've got nothing left to give. I, I just want to try Jesus for a moment. And when you try Jesus, you'll recognize that he indeed is the Savior of the world. Now, what I'd like to do here today, I want you to grab your neighbor where it's appropriate, or by the hand, by the shoulder. Would you grab your neighbor? Would you do that right now? And I want you to bring them on down to this altar if you're not already up here. I want you to bring them on down to this altar if you're not already up here because we're going to pray as one family together. One of the key components of what happened in the Bible on the day of Pentecost they were in unity they were in one mind and one accord they were together in the presence of God you know what I love while they were together they all desired that they would all be filled that they would all be healed that they would all be touched that they would all be delivered so what we're going to do all together is we're going to pray we're going to seek the face of God that God would have his way here today. I believe if you don't have the Holy Ghost, God can fill you with the Holy Ghost. You need to be healed. I believe Jesus can heal your body right now. You believe that? Say amen if you believe that. This is what we're going to do. I want you to lift up your hands all over this place. God's stretching. He's stretching us right now. I, I can feel it in the Holy Ghost. God's stretching us right now. Getting somebody to be a little bit uncomfortable with the way that you've been, maybe with the way that you've worshipped before. I'm telling you, I don't think that every single Israelite was a was a shouter, was a clapper, was a dancer. I don't think that every single one of them had that characteristic or, you know, that that was their way. But I recognize they knew, they knew who this God was. And when it came time to worship God, they realized, man, there, there really is no 
No, nothing else for us to do other than worship. There really is no excuse. There is no reason for us not to glorify and worship the name of the Lord. Would you lift up your hands all over this room right now? And I want you to pray and just talk to God. Jesus. Which I thank you right now for what you're doing in this room. I thank you, God, for what you're doing right now in my heart. Would you pray until something happens in your life right now? Would you lift up your head real high? That's a sign of receiving. Would you lift up your head real high? Come before the throne of grace boldly. Would you do that right now as they sing something? Would you do that right now all over this place in the name of Jesus? And Would you lift up your voice right now as God moves in this place right now? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you.